Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and websites, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. I always tell people, all of this stuff might seem like it's easy to clear all at once or that you could power through it. But if you really want to sort of develop a practice so that it doesn't come back, try going slow for a little while. So small sessions of clearing clutter, small sessions of letting things go, 10, 15 minutes. When you reach small goals, so for instance, clearing out your purse, clearing out your wallet, clearing out a drawer, When you attain those small goals, it gives you a hit of dopamine. So if you can sort of set these small goals for yourself, it might seem like that's not enough. I want to achieve a big thing. It really does build momentum on so many levels. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being. 
as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello everyone, I hope you're all well. I'm really looking forward to sharing today's conversation with you because if you've ever wondered why you're not making the progress you want in your home and life, then you're about to get a profound insight into what's holding you back. Thanks to this week's guest, Dana Claudette, who is a modern feng shui master and founder of the School of Intention, a school and a method of feng shui based on infinite possibility, creative awakening and intention. Millions of people have experienced this feng shui over the last 18 years, and it's become a full-time immersive passion for Dana, who also holds regular feng shui camps on love, money, and some other great topics. Before we get into our conversation, I just have to share a snippet of something that Dana said as we chatted after the interview. I was reflecting on how much what she teaches really resonates with the lessons that I share with students in my courses on styling, design, and decluttering, and how the principles are really the foundation of everything. And Dana said this, you know, everyone is in such a rush to get to the top of the mountain, but really everything that you need is in the foundations. Please enjoy my conversation with Dana Claudette. Hi, Dana. I am so excited to talk to you about all things Feng Shui. And before we get into it, though, I just am curious to learn a little bit about your journey, where you grew up. Was your home important to you? How do you think that maybe this life that you've created for yourself has evolved out of the person that you were as a child? Can you just share a little bit about your, I guess, your upbringing and and where you grew up and what kind of child you were? Of course. And thank you for having me. Um, Everything about my childhood home brought me to this, uh, every single aspect of it. I always go back to that home. And in so many ways, there were positives and negatives, but in all ways, the energy there shaped me, the, the aesthetic shaped me, where I grew up shaped me. I grew up in New Jersey, right outside of New York. So it's the suburbs we don't think about, like 10 minutes outside of New York City. And so it was a very, um, very small city. And you wouldn't think like my little small town right outside of a big city, I had this sense that there was something larger always right across the distance. And uh, the town I grew up in was very much like close knit. Everyone was cousins or best friends. Everyone knew everyone. And growing up in that home, there was a lot of turmoil uh, going on. And I had sort of touchstones in my house. It was very strange to have a house that was locked in the 70s. So it was created in the 70s, locked in the 70s. I still have the mirrored gold mirrors that were everywhere throughout my house. I have all sorts of things from that from that house. Um, and the aesthetic had an impact on me, but there was something very much about, there was one thing in my house that always happened. There's a deck that always rotted. No matter what happened, it would be rebuilt and it would rot. It would rebuild and it would rot. And it was all in this cycle. And it was what I came to learn in the money and self-empowerment part of my house. I learned that obviously later in life, but I knew there was something about it. There was something there. There was, why did this keep happening? No matter who built it. And it was in a cycle. 
And it was the cycle that I saw my family going through. It was this endless cycle. And I, now I would think of it almost as like a generational curse, if, if you've ever heard of that term. And I have seen so many aspects of my home now that I know this work, what it meant to me becomes so clear. But I spent my childhood really attached to my home, talking to the plants. Uh, I had like a fantastical fountain inside my house and filling the fountain and doing all sorts of artistic things. And uh, I was a very strange child. I was sort of in my own world. And so I would, we would come back from a holiday and I tell my sister, let's rip up the carpet in your bedroom and we rip it up. And I was like, 12, 11. And we find floors underneath and my mom would be like, what's happening? And I just carry the rug out. And I would look through catalogs, looking at different things saying, this is the exact room that you should have. And so I think in some ways it was in me knowing that space had such a huge impact upon my life. I also had a yellow bedroom, which I painted <laughs> because I couldn't handle it. And I had these strong colors, 70s, very strong colors. So yellows and oranges, you could see I have orange everywhere in my house. It's like a part of me. Um, and though all those cues have stayed with me for so long, I, I always say it's sort of an imprint, as you know, of home, like that we get in our lives. Yeah, no, definitely. And I don't think it's strange at all to do those things because I still do those things to this day of pulling up carpet and, and all of that. So yeah, I, <laughs> that's, it resonates a lot. Now, what about though, as I guess you started to go through those later years of, you know, your teenage years and high school, and when you start to think about what you might want to do as a career or post-school, what were your thoughts then in terms of the journey that you might be going on? And, and what did you do after school? I never had, I, I always thought I would just become a lawyer or something like that. I was very academic and uh, I, I didn't really, I was very artistic and I was very drawn to aesthetics and I was extremely, extremely, extremely passionate about writing. So in my mind, I was like, I think lawyers and writers do the same things. I know all these lawyers who've become writers and vice versa. And uh, my dad was a lawyer. And so it was like kind of in me. And I wasn't really thinking about a career, strangely. You would think I was because there was so much instability in my life that I would be driven not just to go to a great academic university, but to actually be focused on a career. But I was really focused on myself. I had spent a lot of time in my childhood feeling broken and feeling like something was missing. Again, seeing these cycles keep repeating themselves, visually seeing all this stuff happening. And uh, I was really focused on what would actually make me happy for the first time. I felt like an alien in the small town. I would go to New York City and feel like me. And I was like, you know, there's something here. <laughs> uh, I need to just get myself to a different environment. So I went way across uh, the country to Stanford from New Jersey. So I was in Northern California. And I was just immersed in aesthetics and immersed in joy and spent a year in Paris. And I wasn't really thinking about what I wanted to do. I was thinking about what I was learning. And I guess that's unique. Not a lot of, a lot of people go to college. They think about partying and, or whatever. They think about whatever else. I was literally thinking about how can I become a whole person? And that's kind of where I landed. And so all of these through a lot of social interactions I had and networks that I had, I was 
doing jobs in fashion. I was doing jobs in all sorts of different aesthetic fields. And then finally landed through twists and turns, working in the art world, managing art galleries, things like this. And I was like, this still isn't it. Um, this isn't it. I, it's when you get deep into any aesthetic field, depending on your role, um, unless I was the artist creating the art, it's essentially still very much like any other. I, I would rather be a stockbroker or something. It would be much more easy and lucrative than what I was doing. And I was like, this is not it. And I threw my twists and turns and my uh, desire to fix myself from this brokenness uh, managed to get deep into wellness in Los Angeles because that was uh, something I never experienced before. So much access to all of these strange healers and all of these interesting underground things, people eating these diets. And I've never seen so much of that available. I mean, things I'd never heard of things people still don't talk about. And so I just went deep into like everything. If some guru said they could fix me, I was like, here's my money. You want it? Here you go. Tell me what to do. So I just started really uh, flowing my energy toward all these different directions of how do I become again, whole, because I still wasn't feeling it was all there. And um, it was bad. I wound up getting so burned out from wellness and the extreme things that I was doing that I wound up in the hospital. I was sick for on and off for a month, uh, in and out of the hospital. I spent a full month total in the hospital. And um, it was that rock bottom, as JK Rowling said, that became the solid foundation upon which I built my life. And I was in my place, in my bungalow in LA, looking around going, I don't have anything on the walls. I couldn't leave the house. I was so sick. I could barely walk for six months. I was like really home. And uh, it was very much this humbling and eye-opening experience. It really brought me home. And I had to say, if this is my home, what have I been doing? How have I been living? And that's how I discovered feng shui. I I'd heard of it. It was the one thing I hadn't done. And because I had gone through this series of every expert and listening to every expert, I was like, no, the only way I'm going to do this is if I learn it for myself. So I just thought I have nothing better to do. So I started studying. I did a certification that I could do. I had all these things sent to me to study. And uh and I was like, this is cool. It's still not it. And that was like my, the theme of my life. It's still not it. And I was like, but I could take this because I saw when I would add all this other learning and art and all these other practices that I knew into what I was doing, I was like, this is working for me, but it's not working the way I learned it. And I can't just say I have, I do it my own way. I was like, in order for me to really trust in what I'm doing. I'll just play around with this. I didn't expect it to become a career. I didn't expect it to become anything. I started a Tumblr blog. It became very popular uh, back in like 2006, 2007. I was working for people for free for years. And I was just like, let me play around. Let me experiment. Let me try stuff. And you don't have to pay me, but just tell me what happened. And some things I did work, some things I did didn't uh, for different people. And I started really understanding that what was missing for me was this sense that one, uh, everyone is totally unique. And so there's no one template you can really put on every home or every life, right? It's just impossible. And also this sense that 
our intention is the driver of everything and really being able to step away from that canon of rules in feng shui, this idea that things must be in a certain way and understand like that probably worked at that time and in different scenarios, but we're living such different lives. We have such different in instincts and impulses and choices and, and all of these things. And we're just different beings. And, um, being able to customize it for everyone became sort of a hallmark of my work. And I made it, I guess, very accessible, people have told me, and easy for people to understand. And it found me. I stopped being able to have a job because I was so busy and I just couldn't keep up with it. And all these things were happening. And I was like, here's my career. Now this is it. And I still have that drive to constantly want to and innovate and evolve and learn because. I just feel like we're never done. So can you explain to us, um, and I, I love that you say that, um, you know, wellness broke you. I mean, that's such an irony statement, ironic statement, isn't it? But, um, but can you talk us through what you understand feng shui to be? I guess a little bit, maybe start with the traditional sense, and then if you can share what you do in your practice and, and how you approach spaces. Absolutely. Well, I think I, from all that I understand of traditional Chinese medicine, being the recipient of it uh, in acupuncture and other healing work, and also with feng shui uh, and having, in, uh, I practice an Eastern religion for the last 20 years. That is such a part of my life, which is also part of the lens through which I see this. Feng shui is wind and water. It's the art and science of creating environments where people survive and thrive. Like it's really this very much, uh, almost like a, we'll say like sort of a, a general philosophy of life even, uh, where everything is made up of elements. There are elements that comprise everything in, in nature. I, I wholeheartedly am one with all of that philosophy. There's a sense of connection uh, underlying everything. The way feng shui evolved has been very interesting because feng shui evolved in various into various schools. So we could look at it almost like the way religions evolved. And one religion, like let's just say Buddhism, because that's a great example of how it's in so many different places, in so many different forms, operating on so many different sutras as the ultimate sutra, and even so many different Buddhas as the ultimate Buddha. I mean, it's really mind-blowing. And it evolved, it traveled, it changed, ideas were added, things were added in all different places. And then I guess you approach it and say, well, where, do, where is the ultimate truth, right? Where is the ultimate thing? And so fundamentally, if I look at the core of what feng shui was fundamentally, it was that people were looking for ways to survive and thrive. And having these principles help to create this connection with nature, the synergy with nature, staying in balance with nature, because you literally needed it to survive back then. Like we didn't have modern things. <laughs> we didn't have modern building practices or anything like this. Uh, and so this was wholly uh, fundamental to people's life. Then of course, in different schools, 
you have the things evolve, like some of people listening will have heard, and probably you've heard of flying stars, where there are numbers assigned to different areas of a home and to you and uh, the different dates and things are lucky and they're unlucky. So there's sort of a cosmology added to it that has to do with and uh, divination aspect and what's lucky and what's not lucky, what's fortunate, and what's not fortunate. And then uh, in, in other schools like Black Sect, which is uh, uh, BTB, which is very popular, you'll hear a lot of BTB things. Uh, this was uh, basically a holy man. It's sort of a religion. It's black sectantric Buddhism, which is totally against Buddhist philosophy. I don't practice any BTB because I am Buddhist. I, it's just not my thing. Uh, but in that there's other things added. For instance, you'll find that there are transcendental cures, holding things and saying mantras, uh, blessing homes in different ways. Now I'm not saying any of that is good or bad. I'm saying I don't do it because again, respecting everyone's religion, respecting everyone's energy. And I strongly believe we bless our own homes personally. Uh, and then there are other forms of feng shui, which are based on a compass. And then there are all sorts of other things that come along with that. So you can look at feng shui and it's similar to walking into any vast uh, body of knowledge and you go, what is the truth? And all I could say for me is that all of the things that had to do with uh, cultural, like strong cultural dogma, like things that belong to a culture, I couldn't appropriate and feel comfortable about that. Things that also were uh, very much a part of a religious philosophy, or again, this divination, this good and bad, uh, good day, bad day. That was not for me. I lived through what it was like to feel like I didn't have any power over my life. And I didn't want to bring that to anyone ever. And then, you know, Again, BTB was just off the table because there are all these chants and mantras and transcendental things that involve uh, religious aspects that I wasn't comfortable with bringing to anyone. Uh, and then I arrived at, well, there's these core principles. And if I apply these core principles and apply them in a way that is fairly straightforward, and understand that they are not limits. They're, uh, they're a baseline. Uh, so for instance, understanding your elements and the elements in a, in a home, very personal. Uh, some people say one corner, you'll look at, read things and see things. One corner of a, the room, like let's just say uh, the self and career area of your house is supposed to be full of this element, it's supposed to have water, it's supposed to have black, it's supposed to have all these things. But that doesn't resonate with the space, that doesn't resonate with the people. And, um, you know, what do you do? You know what I mean? And so I felt like forcing, as I said earlier, a template upon people didn't feel right. So the way that I work is based on infinite possibility where there is no good and bad, there is no right and wrong, everything is possible. And there's no facing in a direction where you're going to have bad luck or get divorced. There's no fear. Uh, there's no superstition. There's no limitations. And I am really interested in the fundamental principle, which is helping people to connect.
helping people to connect to their home, helping people to connect to themselves in through the process. Uh, and the second major principle is intention, uh, which is, again, the driver of all the things that we're doing and all the time, whether consciously or not. And then the, the big one, which is creative awakening for me, because that is the energy with which we create everything, not just art, not just, you know, fancy things. Sitting here and talking to you right now is a creative act. Taking a breath is a creative act. Everything is creative. And if you are connected and you're really centered and you're being influenced by this energetic environment that is aligned with you, you can't help but feel better. You can't help but manifest more. It's just, it's just this you don't even need to know all the things about feng shui to know that great environments make you more productive. They make you feel better. They make you happier. Uh, and I think everyone can relate to that with feng shui and using the tools and uh, really using them in a personal way. So rather than this part of the Bagua means purple, uh, okay, this is the energy that we're working with. How does this help me to create a story that's going to really communicate to me personally or to my family or to uh, the people who shop in my store or whatever it is to really have the greatest impact, not to help them influence them in, in ways that are etheric like out here, but I'm pointing above my head for those of you who can't see me, but in to really come back to themselves and all their power. And that's, again, not a coincidence that I grew up feeling with, I was powerless. And now my whole life is about helping people create environments that bring them to their power. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with everything you say there. So I guess in a practical sense, then if you were to do a consultation with somebody and walk through their home, um, or what, you know, would you even start with that? Would Or would you start somewhere else? Like, can you just kind of step us through the process a little bit? I mean, I know, like you say, yeah. there, are, there are so many different elements to this, but just to kind of give people a sense who maybe have never done this before or, you know, don't really, you know, understand what the sort of the steps are involved. Can you just step us through it a little bit? Sure. So if I were going to a home personally, which is so fun to be able to do this again, uh, to be able to show up, see a home. How does it feel? Do you feel greeted? You could look at your own home and ask yourself that question. Uh, you know, do you feel represented? Do you get a sense of who lives here? Uh, as you walk up to the home, what's going on? As you enter the home, how greeted do you feel again? Like how welcome are you? What are your folk? What are your points of focus? Where's the energy going? So usually when I walk into a home, I'll ask uh, whoever I'm working with if I could just take a quick look around. It's usually very helpful to get oriented just to see sort of the lay of everything, what stands out to me. Because when I work with people, it becomes a collaboration. And so it's really helpful for me to have some things already that I see that I know could be helpful. And depending on their preferences, and then really get a sense of what they want. And that's really where the consultation begins. What do you want? And a lot of people say, well, I want no clutter or this. I'm like, no, 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 your life. What do you want? And that really is everything. And once we're really clear on that, we look at people's elements. Uh, again, the traditional Chinese elements, 
display so much of who we are in and what's happening with us at the moment. So I help people to get more balanced. We walk through energy clearing techniques. I do a lot of energy work that's not typical. Um, and that's very accessible. Again, a lot, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that's problematic about certain energy practices. There are a lot of things, uh, for instance, I don't know if you've ever heard of sort of the white sage and how it's sort of been ripped from indigenous lands and it's all sorts of black markets for it. And it's just all of these things really bother me. So I've gotten to a place where almost all the practices that I use for energy clearing are completely unique and you can get them at the grocery store. You could find them in places. So people, we talk through the energetics, setting up this space, clean slate. Um, for those of you who are listening and you're like, what energetics? Uh, it's when you're, for instance, sitting in a, a room and no matter what you do, no matter what it looks like, it feels like you're falling asleep or you feel irritated or you feel uh, unfocused. There are some places where the energy is so stagnant that you don't even want to go into a room or open a closet. All that stuff of energy builds up. And in feng shui, part of that wind and water has to do with this flow of this optimal flow of energy. When energy is flowing freely, you have more money, you have more joy, you feel better, everything's better. And again, you could see that just in your life. If you go to the beach, you know how you feel. If you go into a really cluttery, crowded, loud, restaurant, you're like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. Let's just get our food and leave. We know, uh, but in our own homes, it can be a little bit more subtle and we can become sort of uh, attuned to the white noise. A lot of times people tell me, I, I don't know how I deal with this. I think I just tune it out now, but I know it's there. It's become like a baseline of chaos or stress or heaviness. And I say, you know, you don't need to have that. And they're like, I know, it's what I'm excited about. I want to like uh, just get all this stuff out. So energetics are really important. Uh, we set up the energy of the whole home. Uh, we do some things to uh, help people become, I'm really interested in people becoming cause over their space rather than the effect of it. So uh, helping people to do their own energy clearing is very different than me doing it for them. Uh, if I do it for them, then they don't know how to do it and they don't feel they can. And everyone can, everyone listening can clear their energy in their home. Everyone listening can do these things. What we do together is come up with optimal ways to do this and tools and habits that can really help again, personally help people to really target what they need and want. And then we go through the home and it's a collaboration because now we know what we want. Now we know what we're focused on. And as we move from room to room and we know where you're headed, we know what you want. If we were working together, I'd just say, okay, here's this room. Like, this is it. Uh, I know you're looking to expand in new directions. Like, how can we expand this room in new directions? And you start having this collaboration happen. And of course, everywhere I go in a space, I know there are design principles in feng shui and energetic principles of placement and things like this that really do hold true a lot of the time. They're not always possible, but everything that is that possible within the space. For instance, you might have a bedroom that a bed can't go on a certain wall. It's fine. It's not terrible. 
there are certain things that I see and we always adjust those things as we go, but everything is a collaboration. The client is a part of the hugest part, the the real boss of the whole thing. I'm like a guide and they're doing it, which is very unique. People expect me to come and do something. And then they find themselves like pulling things out of closets and like, what about this? What do you think about that? And I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Um, and that's incredibly empowering because everything around you is influencing you all day long. And so if your home is, and again, to use this word, because it's your word imprint, <laughs> your home is an imprint of other people, rather, you know, and other people's thoughts and other people's things, rather than you, your family, the people who come in there and live there. It's not the same. And I don't want it to be an imprint of me. I always say, no, this is all your wisdom, all your aesthetics, all your style. Um, when I train people to do this, everything we talk about is through the lens of working with everything people desire, whether you like it or not. There are people who don't share my personal style. It doesn't matter. I'm not here to, you know, check boxes off a list for a certain aesthetic. I don't care what your aesthetic is. I care that you have an aesthetic. I care that you have a style. I care that you see your personal expression everywhere. And then when we're done with the whole process, people know some things they might have shifted and implemented as we got, went along, but they have a whole template by the end of the process, color, transformational tools, everything that you could possibly imagine from every vantage point, from fun crystals, if they're into crystals, things that they, modalities that they're really excited about. I've, as I said, immersed myself in almost every modality. So if people want to work with crystals, I'm game with essences, with um, various different things that they do. I'm just like, yes, whatever religious practices they have, whatever cultural preferences, things that are important to them, uh, their family, their ancestry, it's all in their home. Nothing gets shifted. Nothing gets changed. I encourage people to use their native practices, whatever they might be, if they grew up with various things, because that's the most powerful. It's really a part of who you are. Uh, and from there, they implement and they have regular things to do, not just to maintain their home and their home energy, but for themselves as well to stay in alignment and really maximize all of this. So it's very much, um, it's very exciting. Yeah, no, I, and I can completely relate in terms of um, how, you know, you sort of say it's not about your style. And this is something that I do with like my styling course and even my design and decoration courses. It's really about helping people to find what is their style and what resonates with them. You know, there's a lot of similarities in that sense. But what are some of um, the kind of more common problems that people come to you with. Can you give us some sort of concrete examples of, you know, one or two of like the energy blockages um, or, and, and very specific uh, examples of, you know, then how, you know, maybe it's a, a, a concrete example of something you've done of, of how you kind of resolve that. Can you just kind of give us a, like a very specific example, just so that people have got a sense of that. Of an energy blockage. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or even just a problem in general that, you know, when, when you come into people's homes and, and it's like the thing that's really, they're really struggling with their energy in the space or, or whatever it is. 
I mean, the most common thing I see is all different forms of clutter and clutter takes many, many forms. And that's like something universal that I think we can all relate to. Some of the more mystical things that I've seen, I mean, I've, I've worked in places that have all kinds of home energies. I was just talking to a client who has things being moved around her house by spirits. I have people who are have phones being thrown around by ghosts. I, I work with all kinds of people who have really very big things that, um, that wouldn't come up for the average person. But some things that I see commonly, like things that are this present influence, uh, for instance, going into a home and seeing that there's something uh, there's there's some there's some stuff you don't understand why it's stuck because everything looks so perfect and then you realize that this person has all of this paperwork this heavy paperwork speaking of energy uh divorce papers death certificate all sorts of things which you need to keep you you don't get to just throw those away but they were in the bedroom they were in various places and it was just sort of uncovering where all these things were. And they, they just all started coming out as we went through the space. And so those types of things were their own energy. And actually, one woman who took divorce papers out of her bedroom literally very shortly after met her new, who became her new husband, who's amazing. Um, and those types of things are things I think people can relate to. Uh, There's so many examples. I struggle to find one that just stands out to me in terms of a specific example that would be easy for me to explain. Uh, but anytime, for any time anyone feels uh, stuck or heavy, uh, you start to see various things going on. Uh, there was one client of mine who had a very negative view of her space. Uh, she saw everything that was wrong with it because she's a perfectionist and she wanted everything to be right. And there was so much wrong and so much wrong and so much wrong. And a lot of stuff was getting, uh, that was wrong, was getting buried in the basement and buried in all these places that I couldn't see. And, uh, on the way out of the house, I didn't even know there was a basement. I usually don't like usually people show me. And on the way out, it was like, there's a basement. <laughs> no wonder. And so it was a whole revelation. I've had people walk me past certain rooms. And in that room, that's where all the stuff was. And getting into that room, you could see so many of the problems they talked about, so much of the procrastination. I, I was really wondering where it was, because usually what's going on with you shows up in your house. And there it was. It's always somewhere. So anything that you have going on in your life, you will find somewhere in your home if you know what you're looking for. And some of it's apparent. Some of it might be easier to spot like clutter. Uh, sometimes it's the configuration of things uh, that you wouldn't necessarily know to look for, but you know something's a little bit off. Uh, I've had people with geopathic stress. I don't know if you know what that is. But geopathic stress is when the energies are shifting underground, whether because there's moving water or fault lines or other lines of energy underneath the earth. And they couldn't stand to be in a certain area. And when we shifted some things to alleviate geopathic stress, suddenly they were able to totally enjoy the room again. And it, there are so many of these examples on a daily basis. So I, hopefully this is helpful to people. I hope that I'm answering your question. Yeah, no, 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 it's great. And, um, and I am such a big believer as well that I really believe that 
you know, our home represents how we see ourselves and the true, true how we see ourselves. Because I think that a lot of people can, you know, put on a nice outfit and go outside and when they meet people in social situations can sort of pull themselves together. But I think step inside someone's home and you really get a sense of who they are in a big way. Now, I want to ask you about clutter because I know that this is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I'm interested in your kind of approach to it because a lot of people for a start just have way too much stuff for what they need. And I think secondly, um, you know, because we live, as you mentioned earlier, I mean, we live in a time where it's never been easier to buy stuff, you know, like we're just consuming at a, you know, phenomenal rate and which is its whole other, you know, its whole story in itself. But so there's just having too much stuff. And then there's also the type of clutter, which is people struggling to let go of the past. You know, these things that it's like a former identity or they've still got, um, you know, their textbooks from when they were maybe studying something that they're not keep doing now. Or, you know, there's, there's so many different types. I'm just curious on your, your approach to how you help people work through clutter. One of the things that I've found over and over again is that this basic line holds true. When things are stuck, there's some sort of clutter, some sort of clutter. And the clutter can, again, show up in so many different ways. And often it is that stuff in your space. What I find is that happens is it's actually an aggregation of things that happen because either you feel off, like let's just say you're exhausted, you're burned out. And this is something I think a lot of people can relate to. Certainly this was a big issue for me. You're burned out, you're exhausted. So things just get put whatever, wherever they get stuffed in a drawer, they get thrown in here, whatever. And so your energy field is a little bit low. And then all this stuff starts to become easier to just sort of toss and put and everything else. And I hear constantly people say, I don't know what happened. I just cleaned it. How did it get this way? As though they weren't actually moving the things. You might've even said that yourself. It's like, you don't like, how did this happen? How did it get this way? Uh, Because again, when we, because it's all related, like you said, it's really this mirror. Um, when we get tired, when we get overwhelmed, we're just throwing things, putting things the best we can, putting them away out of sight, out of mind, whatever it might be, piling them up. We all do it in different ways. And as a consequence of that, on top of that energy gets stuck, uh, because energy gets stuck in the piles and all that they represent all the drawers and all that it represents that all from being exhausted to the things you didn't want to deal with, to having too much going on or whatever it might be, loss, grief, all of these situations, things can pile up. And so now you have the stuff and then you have the energy around the stuff as well. And this general sense of things being weighed down. And that's why the last thing that a lot of people feel like doing when they feel this way, a lot of people say, I just want to go out. I just want to go out. I want to go somewhere. I don't want to be here. I don't want to deal with this. And of course you don't because everything is so heavy. So one of the things that I find that makes clutter clearing a lot easier is to start by opening up the energy, really opening up the energy, um, opening windows. Uh, burning candles, doing whatever practices, incense, whatever practices make you feel 
more of a sensory feeling of relief, uh, where things feel a little bit lighter. Opening windows is one of the best ones that's easy because you've got this immediate direct flow of energy coming in. And from that place, I always tell people all of this stuff might seem like it's easy to clear all at once or that you could power through it. But if you really want to sort of develop a practice so that it doesn't come back, try going slow for a little while. So small sessions of clearing clutter, small sessions of letting things go, 10, 15 minutes. A lot of my students and uh, people in my programs, they do like a drawer and then they get all this momentum and then they do another one. And, uh, and then all of a sudden they've built their way up to doing big things from a place of excitement rather than a place of feeling like it's never ending. I learned something really interesting from TikTok where I learn everything these days about dopamine and how when you reach small goals. So for instance, clearing out your purse, clearing out your wallet, clearing out a drawer. When you attain those small goals, it gives you a hit of dopamine. So if you can sort of set these small goals for yourself, it might seem like that's not enough. I want to achieve a big thing. It really does build momentum on so many levels. And from that place, it becomes easier and easier to not just clear it, but be aware when, how it started coming back and make it a regular practice to keep it from putting you in that roller coaster where you can kind of keep things much more clear, much more of the time. Yeah, no, I'm, again, I'm a big believer in, you know, more consistent action. It's sort of rather than doing something, you know, and just doing it once and it's this massive thing and then you kind of never touch it again. It's like exercise, isn't it? You know, if you want to be healthy or even the types of food you eat, you need to do it consistently with everything. So I can I can completely relate to that. Now, let's talk about intention because you sort of touched on this at the start of our conversation. And I'm curious to learn a little bit more about how you approach it. I think that intention is something that I certainly set before I do any project, before I do any space, you know, what is this about? What am I wanting to achieve here? It's certainly something that I sort of teach my students um, in the courses that I do, you know, in interiors um, and styling. What's your take on intention? Why is it important? And, And what do people really need to get clear on? Uh, It's a great question. The whole method of what I do is the school of intention, quite literally. Uh, So it's it's really the everything. Uh, For me, there's as a practitioner, I could have my own intention to help see someone through to the result or to have the success that they want to have and participate in their 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 process. Uh, But I'm always driven by my client's intention because they're the ones who are going to be in there. This is all their goals, their dreams, the things that they want. And intention is often interchanged with goals, right? It's intention and goals often get uh, or wish list or whatever it is. Make your intention list, make your wish list, make your goal list. I think that a lot of people Uh, rightfully so, use them interchangeably because there are similarities between all these words. Uh, But to me, intention is more that larger sense of focused energy and attention. So it's not just a thing you want. It's a way that you be. It's a way that you are. (laughs) It's a way way of being. Um, And so 
for me, it's not just the goal or the outcome that that end point, which is what we discuss. But I also work with people again on how they are moving through life, how much they are focusing their own energy and attention, because you can have a perfect space and, or for you, like a, let's just say you set up this great space, but you're not really, it's just kind of, you do it once and you let it go. It's like brushing your teeth once. It doesn't really work that way. You have to keep it up. You have to have that regular sense of it. So intention first is what you want, uh, knowing where it is that you want to invest your very, very vital time and energy, which you cannot get back that time. It's your most valuable resource. What do you want to invest in? What is most important to you? What is what you want to create? So we could say it's first, we start with a goal and to use these words, not interchangeably. And then what is the all of the energy, how is it going to make you feel? Uh, what is the essence of what it is that you want? Uh, what is that feeling sense? How do you know when you have it? Uh, that's always a big thing for me. A lot of times people say, I want more money. And I say, okay, so tell me about that. How do you know when you have the money that you want? Like, what does that look like? Is it a dollar amount? Like, is there not a certain dollar amount, but you want to be able to buy a certain thing or retire? Or what is it that you're looking for? What's the essence of it? And that's a really key thing for me and helping people to say, this is how I want to live. And this is the, the actual influence I want in my space. And then another huge piece of helping people to get very clear on their intention besides their sort of goal and that essence that they want to achieve in their life, that other piece of it for me is always, how are you living? And when your space is set up intentionally, uh, where it's set up deliberately, where it's designed specifically, and people are aware of what they are doing and why to influence them in specific ways, they're basically setting up their home as, for lack of of better pop culture words as a vision board of their life. So you're really immersed in the story that you want to live already. And to me, that's like the ultimate in intention because your focus and attention, your focus attention is that intention in life uh, really does move mountains. And when you're immersed in that, it's unbelievably powerful because you don't have to do an affirmation on a piece of paper. You could still do that. I still do all those practices, but you don't have to sort of do affirmations or speak things out loud or do certain practices all the time in order to be living intentionally. Everything around you is intentional and influencing you to have that focus and that attention. Um, there's great, amazing work that's been done on intention from so many different incredible people doing experiments with this idea of your focused attention and energy and really channeling that energy toward what you want. And, you know, we could call it a bunch of different words, but that type of focus and energy moves mountains. And I think that's something before anyone really even talked about setting intention. You could see there were some people who just always got what they wanted and lived in a certain way. And some people who always felt like it was not quite clicking for them. And the thing that seems to make intention work a lot better 
is feeling at home within your home and within yourself. Yeah, I, I've had to turn the video off, but I'm nodding nonstop. <laughs> I'm just, I'm so much in agreement with all of the, that you said. And I think you've almost answered another question that I was going to ask you, which was how have you applied the principles of Feng Shui to your business, you know, to growing this business? Because I do want to ask you about your school and, and the work that you do with, with students and so on. But I mean, I guess, is that right? That, you know, you've just been very intentional about how you, have created this business and reached out to all of these people and helped them. Is that, would you say, am I right in that? Uh, I guess. Yes. I, I, it's, it's really interesting. The initial beginnings of all of it was not, there was no, I always thought in the back of my mind, wouldn't it be fun if, you know, this was whatever. But when I started doing this, there was no wellness world that we know of. There was no goop. There was no mind, body, green. There was none of these things that we look at in popular culture and say, oh, you could be part of that community. Uh, And so for me, it was like, wouldn't it be cool? But it certainly wasn't an intention. I was really just wanting, I guess, my biggest intention and doing my Tumblr blog and starting my blog and all of these things was, wouldn't it be cool to experiment, share these things and see what happens? Like that was really my first step. And all these consultations I was doing for free and all the experiments I was doing were a passion project. So it started with a passion project, but the growth of it all has been, I think, a combination of my intention to want to help as many people as I possibly can uh, to do this in all different ways, whether uh, no matter how, you know, you can work in different ways with me in, in the work, but it was also a development of my own ability to be self-expressed. And the more I became more myself, the more people just showed up. And, um, you know, as I got to doing this more and more often, uh, people just showed up. I started meeting people and communities formed like Mind Body Green and the wellness community and other communities in Los Angeles that I've sort of become a part of. And uh, just all of this matrix of, of people and things showed up when I started really communicating in my way. It was very, uh, it was very easy for me to be sort of a rebel in this field when I had no like I said, designs on having a business, it's very easy to be a disruptor when you just really don't care. Like I didn't go, like, no one was going to take away my ability to like feed myself or have shelter. You know what I mean? It didn't, it, I had nothing on it. It was just purely my passion project. And as I started to see what I'm doing is really different and there is something to it that's larger. And I do have a methodology to it then it became other people's intentions that drove me to do things. I started with one little class, one, one class online uh, back in the, I think it was almost nine years ago now. And that one class, that initial group of people were like, we want this. And then it became another thing. And then it became another one. And then it became four of them. And then it became a school. And it was all from people saying, we want this. Can you do this? Uh, there were some things I just simply wanted to do along the way, of course, but a lot of it was a lot of the big stuff that has grown came from people, other people's intentions. They knew what they wanted next. And I was interested in how I could 
I was like, the door is going to open somehow. Tell me what you need. And that's how it's always gone. Yeah. So tell us then a little bit about what do people learn in the School of Intention, which is, um, so that's an, is that an online program? All of the trainings I do are online. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got the Feng Shui camp. So can you talk about what, you know, give us a sort of a rundown of both of those and how they're different. Absolutely. Uh, The camps are really fun programs that are immersions in a single topic. So for people who are really interested in uh, more love in their life, the love camp is starting. That's, that's the big love immersion. So you're really looking at your home and life through the lens of love. So there's always in each program exercises and things to do for you that you resonate with, along with things to do, of course, for your home. And we do a lot of interactive work together. I look at people's floor plans. We brainstorm different design things. Uh, having been in this space for a really long time online, uh, it's very, very easy for me to, I say, like sort of transport myself through the digital realm. Like I always feel like I'm sitting with people when I'm talking to them online. So it's been really helpful to be able to kind of access people's homes all around the world. And it's been so it was so rewarding to do the first one. The first one I created was about clutter, not coincidentally, because that's the big topic. And then love and money is the cash camp. And the breakthrough camp is all about aligning your energy using the chakra system. And again, all working with your home through these different lenses. And so all those camps run throughout the year. One every season. So seasonally, we have a season of love, money, all of those things throughout the year. And then the school of intention is, and that was the hardest one for people to have their intention for me to do. Uh, A lot of people asked me to teach this for a long time. And uh, I'm sure it's, it could be easy for anyone who's uh, kind of developed their own way of doing something to relate to this. I wondered if I could translate what was in my mind into something that other people could not just work with, but really integrate into themselves with their own wisdom and their own talents and their own gifts. So uh, for all the times people ask me, will you teach me? Will you teach me? I was like, I can't say yes to this. And then just one day I was moved. I was like, okay, I'll do it. Um, And when we started the school, that was the biggest challenge I've ever had was translating this work so that other people could make it their own in, in the sense of having their own practice. I don't want anyone to be a clone of me. Uh, I am not the be all end all of all things. I'm always learning as well. And so many of my students have, they're all around the world and have, you know, incredible accomplished lives in every different dimension. And they're doing all sorts of things that that blow my mind and teaching me constantly. But in the school, we go through this entire methodology and you do it for yourself as the starting point, because once you learn it for you, then we translate it into business. So we do a very large business training after we do the feng shui training. And the reason for that is working with this work, whenever you're doing something unique, I think uh, you can get lost in all the the noise of how you're supposed to promote things and how you're supposed to do things. And I've always felt that it's so, like I said, the things that worked for me started when I was using my own voice instead of 
trying to be like this or trying to be popular. Uh, and so it's been very, very, the greatest rewarding experience of my life to see people around the world doing this work. I just had a review with someone in Namibia um, and in Africa, and I did another one with someone in Australia a few days before that. So there's people all around the world, um, pretty much everywhere you could possibly imagine doing this work. And it's, uh, they do it first for themselves. So some people do it for personal development because it's a really deep dive into aligning your life and your home. And then you could feng shui for anyone, but a lot of people are doing it to expand their businesses. Lots of interior designers, tons and tons of coaches of all kinds. People realize that this idea of environment has been largely overlooked. I mean, it's mind, body, spirit, but we exist in a place and place got left off the table. Do you know what I mean? Like it's only now coming into the conversation in a bigger way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It sounds amazing. And so do you only have that open at certain times of the year or can people join that at any time? I have it open pretty much at any point where people would want to join. It would be, I could say it would be open, but we start twice a year. I do it live right now, which is kind of extraordinary. People don't believe that I do it live because it's about a hundred hours and I do it live because I'm always learning. And I feel like I would be shortchanging people to do pre-recorded videos. I feel like there's something very different about uh, having the experience of delivering it live each time right now, at least I'm going to stick to that for as long as I possibly can for many, many years. I've done it live twice a year. Uh, and it is definitely something you could do on your own time. So sometimes I'm, I'm okay if people join after it starts a few days after or something else, but if people are passionate about it, but for the most part, it's twice a year. Okay. And so when does the next one start or sort of, is it usually a set time roughly each year? Uh, we have early registration open now for the September session and the September session there's usually a like a fall and a spring. That's the best okay. way that I can say it. It's usually yeah. fall and yeah. spring. And I can never guarantee that there's going to be two because so many things have, luckily we've been able to pull it off, but um, you, you know, you know what it's like. You've, you've had projects to have to finish and other things and it's a lot. And I take this commitment really seriously when people are entrusting me to teach them anything that they're going to, do at any point, I take it very seriously, but this is something I, I feel an immense responsibility for everyone. Yeah. yeah. And before we kind of go on to the sort of last little um, sort of, or well, I call them rapid fire questions, but it depends on how you answer them, I guess, but um, is I just wanted to touch base on obviously, you know, the past couple of years have kind of redefined how we view our home. How, you know, what's your understanding of how that relates to, you know, feng shui and all the things that you teach, how, how have our homes had to adapt and how can we, I guess, like transition them to this new phase as well, let go of the, you know, our feelings about that whole time. Well, I think that's really interesting that you mentioned the last piece, the let go of the feelings about that time, because I think for some people, it really depends on the personality. I have tons of friends, myself included, who uh, were like, yay, I get to be at home. Not yay that this is happening, but there is a sense more introverted people, I think, really thrive during this time. 
uh, and people who had their lives obviously disrupted in all sorts of ways. But the idea of being at home uh, has changed so much for people. And I think that it's not going to go away. I I don't know if you've known people who survived during like uh, a large uh a large cultural phenomenon, a great depression, things like this. But uh, when you have depression, I had depression era grandma and so many of those values stayed with her forever. And I feel like a lot of what came out of this time has really uh, was, is going to define us in certain ways. And certainly at least in the United States, the fervor for real estate is outstanding. Uh, The fervor for um, home design, being aware of your space, making the most of your space, uh, a resourcefulness about it, um, and also seeing the potential in a space. A lot of people had to adapt quickly to working at home, having their kids at home, doing school at home. None of these things ideal for the long term for many people. But for some people, they saw like what was possible. And, uh, and so they look at their home in a different way and have different designs on what they want to do uh, with their space. And so I found it to be very affirmative uh, for so many people in terms of finally being at home. A lot of people said this was the first time that they felt like they could make themselves at home the first time they were paying attention to things like the color of their walls or uh, how the sofa was uh, torn or whatever else they needed to mend or fix. Uh, it was it was very grounding for a lot of people who just weren't home at all. And of, of course, I'm not going to comment. I'm not trying to gloss over the horrific things that have happened around the world. Please understand that. But in my experience from all the, the work, the feedback, uh, even, even, you know, just, uh, the interest, the, the amount of interest from people I would least expect just went through the roof and it hasn't changed. I don't think it's going to change back. People know that their home now is this very, very important place uh, by and large. Uh, even if they did know before they know it on a whole nother level. And in terms of transitioning out of sort of that home is where you need to stay, like that it's the only safe space uh, or that, you know, we're confined to our homes. I think that this next phase, hopefully, I hope that this next phase, I should say, I don't have a crystal ball, but is really community-based. I think that in uh, a lot of what's happened, at least in my community in Los Angeles, is people have gotten uh, a lot closer. People talk to each other a lot more. They realize they could depend and rely on each other a lot more. And your community is part of that connection to your environment. If you're sort of alone on an island and you don't know or like anyone around you, you don't have that sense of like a safety net or this tight knit or any sort of knit around you. You're kind of alone on the island. And uh, I think transitioning more is, is really outreaching more to your community. Uh, maybe you, you're not comfortable yet having people over to your house, but having this sense of uh, the old school things that people used to do, like, you know, introducing yourself to your neighbors, giving them gifts, like, you know, buying them, you know, whatever it is, uh, flowers, just because what those types of things that stretching your wings more in that way, uh, I really think has a major impact. My friend started the day messaging me from Australia, uh, talking about how 
you know, she was working on changing the energetics of her community there. And I was literally on an energy level. And I was like, now that is so next level. I think that's where I would love to see people putting more attention um, in terms of, you know, not being just sort of like, okay, the door is closed and keep everyone out. But how can we all help each other? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I think that, you know, one of the the kind of sort of things that have come out of this time is I think a lot of people have had a huge awakening in relation to their home and their life and what's important. And, and like you say, kind of being very conscious of the surrounds and, and how that makes them feel. So, which I think is a good thing, you know, I think sort of, again, it comes back to that being intentional about, you know, your spaces and, and what you want for your home and for your life. So um, before we wrap up, I've got a bunch of questions that are really to get an insight into you and, and your journey a little bit more. Um, and I always start with what sometimes can be the tricky one, which is which five words best describe you? Five words. Uh, creative, committed, intense uh curious and passionate great they're well done (laughs) what's the best life or career lesson you've learned long game play the long game if you're trying to do things for the short run only we all need things in the short run but have a long game perspective. Uh, all the things that build a long game are the things that are going to last. It's so true. Um, what's your proudest career achievement? Oh my gosh, there are so many. Uh, way back, and this is this is one because it was just such a big challenge. Way back, way back when, uh, 2014, I redid uh, with the Mind Body Green team, redid and feng shui their offices. And that was a really big project where there were so many things I didn't know how to do, but managed to do. Uh, and that was a, a big one. That was a really big one. I'd say my proudest achievement recently is having all these students graduate all around the world. Amazing. What's been your best decision? Becoming my own friend instead of my own enemy. Wow. That's powerful. Uh, Who inspires you? Everyone who is living their truth. Those are the people who inspire me. There's no one person. What are you passionate about? Art, transformation, possibilities, uh, travel, um, painting, design, um, energy, uh, so many things. Uh, I'm looking around, I'm like crystals, plants, gardens. I'm obsessed with permaculture. Um, so many things uh, that I'm so passionate about learning, books, fiction, writing. Um, I love TikTok. Am I allowed to say that I'm passionate about TikTok? (laughs) I love TikTok. Um, All those things. That's so good. Uh, What dream do you still want to fulfill? There's so many. I'd say off the top of my head, uh, 
publishing fiction and doing large scale paintings. Mm. What are you reading right now? Nothing. Nothing? I have too much data. (laughs) When I have too much, it's, it's a, I think it's, it's actually something I always, I could always say a book and I've had so much data and I think it's kind of might be a good thing, a lesson for all of us. Sometimes I, I take in so much data that I lose my voice, if that makes any sense. So right now I'm really not reading anything. I mean, I'll read the random so- social media posts, but uh, I'm not even doing that right now. I'm really like clear mind. <laughs> now I can completely relate to that. Actually, I over the the last Australian summer, which would have been your winter, I I took two months off from touching my phone, but also listening to podcasts, you know, reading all that stuff. Um, because I, similarly, you know, I just felt like I was, my brain was just like a soup of all these different ideas and people's thoughts and all of this stuff. And I just thought, no, I just need to reconnect back with what I want and what's important to me. And it was just, it was so liberating, so incredibly liberating. I love that. I can really relate. Um, so I guess you're not listening to anything or are you listening to music? What about music? <laughs> I listen to, occasionally I listen to, well, two things. Uh, I One of the things, the thing that I really listen to most frequently are guided meditations. Um, I listen to lots of different guided meditations and I also listen to uh, a channel on YouTube that has lots of, uh, we'll say like, uh, energy tuned music that I really love called meditative mind. Those are the things, if I'm listening to something right now, I'll have those things on in the background. Can you share guided meditations, but one of those energy sort of shifting musics. Yeah. Can you share, um, with the guided meditations? Is that on an app or where, how do you access that? I find so much on YouTube. And then I go and buy from people who I like, if that makes sense. So I started things like the Silva method I found on YouTube. And then I bought all the guided meditations and classes. Like, so I'm always finding things and then, um, I'll find them usually on YouTube or from my students. And then I'll grab as much as I can that I can easily play. When I have a break, I'll do guided meditations. That sounds good. And finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self? There is no race. Mm, Similar to the long game. Spent a lot of time running, trying to go nowhere. (laughs) So (laughs) to an abstract place called success, which no one can define. And yeah. There's really no race. There are so many times I wish I had been able to slow down more and really see the things around me more. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Now, before you do go, can you share how can people find you? Can you share sort of how can people learn about your schools, learn, you know, connect with you on the various channels? Where are you? Uh, You can find me across pretty much all social media at Uh, So the little at sign and the Tao of Dana, T-H-E-T-A-O-O-F-D-A-N-A. 
and my blog where you can also learn about the school and learn about all the programs and the method and all the things and you can watch tons of videos. There's so many videos. There's the whole video tab of YouTube um, is Feng Shui, is Feng Shui Dana, F-E-N-G-S-H-U-I-D-A-N-A.com. Okay, great. And can you just explain the Tao? Like, so what, what, what does that mean? Uh, what connects you? Uh, Tao is really what connects you. So, um, the Tao of Dana is what connects me to life. Um, I started out writing about all things, art, uh, different happenings, different energy practices, books I was reading was all things that I was just into. And of course, feng shui and design and all of that. Uh, and it kind of just became my name. Uh, I, I couldn't leave. I couldn't lose it at some point. It was just with me. And it really does. It really, over time, it makes a lot of sense when people work with me or study with me. I say, no, no, no. It might be the Tao of Dana, but this is about the Tao of you now. What connects you? What is it? What are you all about? What are you interested in? And what's your wisdom and all your talents and gifts? That's what I'm really excited about. Thank you so much. I have enjoyed this conversation so much. It has been such a great insight into your journey and um, a taste of what you do and create. And I'm excited to dig in further and watch all the videos. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to sort of give us an entree into your world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint.